0: happening welcome to throwing stones alongside ryan griffin i'm matt bassin and if you don't know by now you should know we're talking hoops and not just our beloved pistons before we get rolling though gotta remind you like subscribe everywhere you can find us that would be tiktok twitter facebook instagram full episodes on youtube (sighs) all right let's get rolling ryan we're gonna start with our stones pistons last night we recorded on wednesday uh sorry recorded on Thursday last night Wednesday's game Pistons routing the Atlanta Hawks my man Jeremy Grant leading the way with 21 points Cade 17 6 and 8 another respectable line for the rookie tried to climb his way to rookie of the year and six other Pistons Ryan had between 10 and 16 points a balanced attack for our Detroit Pistons
1: yeah, I mean, the uh, the only thing I really care about Cade is that he's getting that 17-5-5 five five to bring up those benchmarks to join whatever that list was with Magic Jordan and Magic Johnson and, uh, like, like Oscar Robertson, I think. The most – the best part Luca. about – Yeah, yeah, Luka too. The The most encouraging part about this game for me was the play of Killian Hayes, and he's been playing a little bit better recently, but I think he had, like, 13 points, uh, six boards, and five assists or something – Um, it, I mean, he he played really well, controlled the game. He even posterized somebody. So for Killian to kind of be turning that corner it's the second time in like a month that he's put the clamps down on Trey young. I know Trey shot 50%, but he only had 18 shot attempts and scored 21 points and had like nine assists. So if you're going to play the Hawks and you're telling me Trey's only getting you 21 points, nine assists, I'll take that uh, (laughs) all day, every day. And I mean it just goes to show you like the the price on Hayes Island, the real estate is going up. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm the mayor, I'm not letting just anybody on. You're gonna have to prove to me that you were down from the from the beginning. But I was really encouraged by Killian's play. You know, uh Jeremy played good, Sadiq didn't play all that well, and you know, Cade had another strong performance, but I'm really you know, really encouraged by Killian's play because I think that's going to be a guy who can be like a key cog of the future of the Pistons. You know, obviously along with Cade Cunningham um if you know if things start to break right for him then I hope they do. I mean beef stew. Also, they put beef stew on Trey Young, and he was playing defense on the young guard.
0: So, I mean, you know, you got your center out there staying with them as well. Uh, you know, love that. You know, you know us Pistons. We love our defense, and we love when the team plays great defense. And you know, to take down a playoff bound because they're still they're the ten seed. They're in that play in playoff tournament, but to romp them twenty two one twenty two to one hundred one for the Pistons' largest victory and dominating them in every facet. They shot better from two. They shot better from three. They shot better from the free throw line. They out-rebounded them. They had more assists in Atlanta. And to go along with that, history being made, Sadiq Bey is now the all-time single-season three-point maker for the Detroit Pistons, breaking Allen Houston's (laughs) 27-year-old record. So while he might not have played all that great, he made history the other night as well. So great game all around for our Pistons. Biggest victory of the year for them. Eight guys in double digits. It's just a well-balanced, well-rounded win and a dominant win over a playoff-bound team.
1: Yeah, I I think the other thing that I like about this game is the Pistons were down after the first quarter. They were down by five, and they still won the game by 20. And if you just look at, like, the scoring by quarter, the Mm -hmm. Pistons demolished the Hawks, you know, the, the second, third, and fourth quarter, which a lot of the times this year has kind of been a killer for them, you know, coming out of the half flat and just getting to, like, Destroyed or outscored by 15 in the third quarter or something, and at least for a night that that didn't happen. Right. And like you said, the Hawks, uh, you know, uh, a playoff bound team, probably a team that was in the Eastern Conference, you know, uh, finals last year. So, it, or Eastern Conference semifinals, maybe semifinals for sure. Yeah,
0: but I mean, the, you know, the, the okay, yeah. also, look, yeah, better NBA teams final, you expect to do this, but for a bad team like the Pistons, you still. You hope they can do it, and they did. They took advantage of the Hawks on the back end of a back-to-back night for the Hawks. So, you know, the Hawks came in with heavy legs. You saw it after the first quarter, but bad teams can still lose to decent teams when they're on the back-to-back end of a, you know, of a back-to-back night. So to go out and do that and do it dominantly, like you said, every quarter got better. The third quarter started off great for the Pistons, and they just kept them at arm's length the rest of the way. And Cade... Doing what Kate does, still pushing for that for that rookie of the year, putting up all star numbers since the yeah, all star break twenty two seven and seven. Look, you want that from anyone
1: on your team, oh, but you getting it from the rookie? Come on, 22-7-7 is like outstanding. Mm-hmm. Like I know in the inflated numbers era of the NBA, we've kind of been desensitized to it because we have guys you know like Luca and even like Trey who are pushing like thirty and ten mm-hmm. numbers. But twenty-two seven and seven, uh, for a rookie. I love, so like, yeah, for a rookie. And if you think, I know it's five more points, but like LeBron's career average is twenty-seven seven and seven, and he's regarded as you know the most well-rounded player of all time. Mm-hmm. And for Cade, you know, in this stretch since the All Star break, to be at twenty-two seven and seven, you know, not right up there with LeBron's careers numbers because the scoring's good. You know, got, got to be a little bit higher. But I have no doubt that. Cade can, you know, add on to that average, or even, you know, average twenty-five points a game next season. You know, twenty-four. Maybe the Pistons get a little bit better, and he's doesn't have to score as much. But it's just, it, it's really incredible to see what he's been able to do, and he's gotten cosigns not only from Pistons fans who all love him, but he's gotten cosigns from other stars. Uh, you know, I know Kevin Durant was a big fan of Cade's game. Somebody else the other night was talking about you know just like how oh Chauncey Billups you know pissing piss, great pissing point guard was talking about <laughs> how great uh, you know Cade Cunningham just like maturity and poise and control of the game is for for a rookie and it's it's really exciting because it feels like the Pistons haven't had a guy like that in so long right probably not even since Chauncey Billups but no, I, think I think fans feel better about Cade. Than they even ever did about Chauncey, which is crazy considering he, you know, he's a Finals MVP here. It, it's a little different, you know. I mean, Chauncey came here eventually. You know, I'm mean, thinking back yeah. to like who the Pistons have drafted
0: that given up. It's yeah. Grant Hill. It is <laughs> yeah. absolutely Grand Hill. There's no one since Grand Hill that the Pistons have been this high on as a rookie, and to come out and produce consistently because that's what he's been doing since the All Star break, especially really since he got healthy. You know, that first two months of the NBA season, he missed a bunch of it to start, and then the rest was getting into game shape and game speed and everything. You take out that first two months, K's been fantastic. And that's all you could ask for your rookie. If he wins rookie of the year or not, we got two weeks left in the season to find out if he's going to get it done. But someone knows that two weeks are only left in the season, and that's Jeremy Grant, who's been playing up all of a sudden, trying to get well, that resume go. bolstered, because there's already talks about where he's going to go next year, because it's probably not going to be in Detroit, and they're already talking about, apparently, Portland very interested in Jeremy Grant uh using what is the uh, the New Orleans Pelicans pick that they got in the trade for C.J. Yep. McCollum uh, to try and lure
1: him to his Olympic teammate, Damian Lillard. Yeah, so the, the pick has to fall between 5 and 14. And right now, at least that's where it's projected to fall, right? The Blazers could get some or I'm sorry, the Pelicans could get some unreal lottery luck and be one, two, three, four, and then the pick, you know, just kind of jumps into next year. Mm -hmm. But that's what we're talking about. We don't even care what player we would get back, and you'd have to get a player to, to match the salary. We don't even care what player we get back. The Pistons can walk, like, into this draft with two top six picks, right, two top eight picks. It changes the whole dynamic of the future because this is a pretty deep draft up top. Like, there are four guys... Who, probably three you can see going number one, but four who are in like that super upper tier. But mm-hmm. then the tier right below that, that's not uh, you know, that, that, that's nothing to shake at either. That's where you have, you know, like your guy, uh, was it Mathurin? Yeah, is, is that's his, that his name. Uh, you got, you got guys like Keegan Murray, you know, Johnny Davis, some of these big 10 guys that, you know, we're familiar with, um, AJ Griffin from Duke. So there's a lot of options. Jalen Duran from Memphis. There's a lot of guys that the Pistons, if they're able to pull off that trade and get that pick from Portland, the the second one, the Pelicans pick from Portland, Mm -hmm. it's like, it, it, it'd be an absolute game changer. And there's some smoke behind the fire, like when they played the Blazers the other night. You know, Jeremy was talking. I think it was with Josh Hart and, like, Yusuf Nurkic. And Josh Hart had liked that tweet from whatever it was, Legion Hoops, that, you know, kind of mentioned that Shams report that said, hey, the Blazers are very in, very interested in pursuing Jeremy Grant. They're really trying to attack it. And when you have some kind of openness like that from the players, I think it helps, you know, get a deal done. Yeah. And it certainly helps that him and Dame Lillard kind of worked on their chemistry, you know, while both being
0: on the Olympic team. Uh, I think that did a ton for Jeremy Grant in general, and uh, but for his future now, you know, you've already got a guy advocating for you to come here. He knows how to play with them, got some time playing with them, enjoyed his company, so it's all the better for Jeremy Grant. Look, I'm a big fan of Jeremy Grant. I I I have enjoyed his time on the Pistons. I would be a little upset to see him leave, but if we are going to get a top ten pick in the NBA draft for him. I'm all for it. You give us two top 10 picks altogether between our own and theirs. You're talking about really speeding up the rebuild of the Detroit Pistons. So I'm absolutely all for it.
1: I know. And this is why I wasn't so upset, like at the trade deadline when Jeremy Grant was still on the team, because I knew the draft season's coming, right? You (laughs) have the off season to still get rid of this guy or, you know, even when you knew kind of maybe more so how the draft was going to play out. And, I think as long as you can get maximum value for Jeremy Grant, that's all you can ask. And I trust Troy Weaver enough at least to think that if he wasn't getting that value at the trade deadline, I was fine keeping him because I knew at some point you're going to be able to max out Jeremy. And if he continues his play down the stretch, I mean, hey, like you know, sky's the limit. Those offers are only going to keep going up. If Portland is really interested, who's to say somebody else doesn't come in just a little bit more desperate?
0: We're we going to find out. <laughs> all right, big news for big men <laughs> in the big news. Uh, Kevin Durant coming out and defending one of the best big men of all time in Dirk Nowitzki because Carl Anthony Towns is having himself a year. Man's been shooting the ball beautifully, won the three-point contest this year, which, you know, I think he was one of the worst odds for it <laughs> if you went to Vegas betting on the All-Star break. Uh, but he's been putting up, you know, ridiculous numbers, 25 points a game, 53% from the field, 41% from three while averaging five threes a game, five attempts, not five makes. And people are already starting to say, is he the best big of all time? Well, Kevin Durant came out and said not. The the best big
1: shooter of all time.
0: Yes, best big man shooter of all time. So, And KD coming out
1: and saying, hold up, slow your roll. (laughs) Yeah, I'm... And so, Katie was obviously advocating for Dirk Nowitzki, right? right? It's not like he was just trying to poo-poo on, right. on Towns all of a sudden. But yeah, he was advocating for Dirk, and, I mean, Dirk's Dirk certainly right there. You know, before Cat came along, I don't even think this was a discussion. Everyone was just like, oh, yeah, Dirk, the, the best shooting big. Yeah. right? He came in. He kind of revolutionized the game. Uh, a seven-footer doing that before seven-footers could. Uh, I thought, I'll be totally honest with you, I thought I was going to give the edge to Cat when we first started the podcast and we were going over our show notes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm looking at some of the other numbers now. Dirk, still career, 38% from three. Cat, just about 40. Not that big of a, it's not that big of a gap, right? Because right. sometimes you get these older guys, you know, Larry Bird, older than Dirk Nowitzki, but mm-hmm. he's probably 35, 36% from three. And today that's just something you look at and be like, eh. Yeah. Right. Not average. But, <laughs> but for for Dirk to still be at 38%, the the way he did it, taking more like his shots were more difficult than towns. He played in more big games than towns. So there was some way more pressure on on Dirk Nowitzki's, you know, shots and just his, his performance in general than there is for carl anthony towns and more pressure i think he had a shoulder a bigger load than dallas than towns does in minnesota uh and you know even free throw percentage right dirk still 88 for three towns for his career or i'm sorry from the free throw line towns is you know 80 83 and a half 83 basically so i think i would give the edge to dirk although i was 1000 percent ready to say no like can't that dude I knew Dirk was that dude. I didn't know that percentages were that good, though. Well,
0: so, I mean, you know, if you – it's funny when you say careers because, unfortunately, your first year and your last year are usually not that great in the NBA. Yep. And it may, sometimes, depending on how long you played, Dirk played 21 seasons. The last couple years are not that great. So when we crunched the numbers, we we did two different sets. The full career one, 20-point-per-game score for his career – if you yeah. take away that first year, and really his last three years because he was just kind of, you know, he, he didn't play as well. He's getting older, you know, 40 years old and all that. 22 points for his for, per game for 17 years of his 21-year career while shooting around 40% from three, close to it. 38 to 40, depending on what year you looked at. 38 to 41, depending on which years you're looking at. So to do it for that long is where it's like, look, Carl Anthony Towns, his numbers are impressive. You know and anytime you have a big that's shooting 80 plus from the free throw line that's a good big because you look at the greatest bigs of all time wilt was like 50 Shaq is like 50 yeah. percent you know then you have the outliers Kareem Kareem was like 78 81 percent and that's what people always said was the difference between Kareem and these other centers was if he got fouled in crunch time he's making his free throws so when you have a big that makes free throws it does make a big difference but for Dirk to do it for 20 years and cat is still in year what seven six seven. Uh, yeah. So you got to keep it going, you know. And if he continues to do this, he's going to continue to add to the argument that he might very well end up being the best shooting big man of all time. But he's had a great start so far. You know, he's dealt through a whole lot of hate throughout his career. A lot of talk about his toughness. That famous picture of him and Boogie, which is still <laughs> one of my pictures of all time. Boogie's just standing there, and Cats doing everything he can to try and hit him, and he ain't even moving. But the man can put up points. Lots of points, and he does it in different ways. And you know, came out this year, All Star break, said I'm gonna and goes and wins the three point contest. No one was expecting that. Kind of you know reminded everyone how good he can be. And in this era where it's all about shooting from deep, he's fitting in beautifully and standing out at it.
1: I mean this this year in the NBA, he's one of just the best shooters in the NBA, big or not. Like he's like he's he's one of the best shooters. I used to have 41. On uh just about, what is it here? Five attempts a game. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, he'd actually shot better percentage on eight three points attempt a game. So, I mean, this is a man who can absolutely, you know, set the net on fire from beyond the arc. But, I think, I think Dirk's just in a different level because of the ways he was doing it. I do think the pressure of carrying a team that actually had expectations does mm-hmm. matter. I know Minnesota's having a nice year this year, but it's like a nice year for Minnesota. If right. Dirk was ever the sixth seed or whatever Minnesota figures to be, it's like, oh, like, that's a disappointing year. But right. Dirk was carrying title expectations, right? Even before they won it in 11. Mm-hmm. In 07, he was the MVP. They got upset in the first round by by the Weebly we Warriors. Warriors. But there's it was still constantly, you know, 50 win teams, teams who people thought could make a, a deep run in the playoffs. And here's just kind of a fun note. Doesn't really have anything to do with Dirk. But like what you said about the first year and like the last couple of years can really bring you down. There's a list of, I think, like three or four players who have ever averaged 27 points a game for their career. Mm -hmm. And Iverson would be on that list, except his last couple years in, like, Memphis and and his last run in Philly like that. That brought him down to where I think he's, like, 26.8 or 26.9 or or something like that. Uh, And it makes me sad because that's my favorite player. Yeah, it's just not fair. You shouldn't shouldn't count
0: those years where you know the guys a shell of themselves. You should show the numbers for when they were a baller. I understand having them displayed so everyone can see them, but when you're talking, like, his real career, like – there should be, like, a little, like, outlier asterisk something saying, here's his real career. Like, we ain't yeah. going to count that first year. Like, for Kobe, like, you can't count Kobe's first year. The man only played half the games. He wasn't needed. He were They were trying to bring him in slower. He wasn't like LeBron as a rookie where he's starting for the Cavs because they need him. Like, it's just there's different there's different asterisks that need to be thrown into these guys' careers to make them show their real numbers.
1: Yeah, yeah. and that's, I mean, that's probably a different segment for, for a different podcast. Oh, yeah, we should, we like, should definitely like, make you. that. You need to talk about the peaks of these guys because you're right. Not everybody has the same career path. So these stats that LeBron's putting up, incredible longevity. But I think if Luka plays as long, he could very well be there because he's got some more inflated numbers than LeBron has. And he was the man, you know, like since day day (laughs) one as well. So it would just be interesting to see, like, as the years progress, how – wonky some of these numbers are and like some how weird some of these guys are who like maybe pass kobe or they pass iverson in some sort of statistic and you're just like well that's not right right (laughs) you talk about not
0: right and look pistons fan laker fan there is no team i hate more than the boston celtics i grew up young kid in the 80s hated this team more than anything and this ain't right But this team is hot as can be right now, and I hate every minute of it. But this team was 23-24 and on January 21st, Ryan. They are 23-4 and since. This team making its way up the charts in the Eastern Conference. Looks like they might have the best start in five in basketball right now between Tatum, Brown, Robert Williams, Smart, and Horford. Looks like Smart has really found his spot in this team because this is a guy who is – Even in Boston, there was, you know, you love the effort, you love the defense, but this man would shoot you out of games in the past. And this year, being really the starting point guard for them, averaging about six assists, came off a game last night where they dominated the Utah Jazz, and he dished out 13 assists in the process. This team, don't be sleeping on the Boston Celtics, Ryan, because they might be the team that represents the East when it's all said and done.
1: They, they absolutely could be is because they have kind of that old school mentality of team building, right? Where if we lose in the playoffs, we're not going to go out and swing a big trade and bring in Kevin Love or something along those lines. Like Tatum, Brown and Smart, they've probably been together like at least five years now. Like these are guys who grew up together. They all started their careers on the Celtics. They grew up. They were rookies together. They went through those bumps. They went through some highs. They got to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals and you know, lost to LeBron James and, and Cleveland. And their, their team has played together a, a lot. <laughs> and Tatum's emerging to be really one of the best players in the NBA. He's probably been like a top 10 player this year, uh, right behind Kyle Kuzma. Jalen Brown is the perfect number two and the, the perfect like, complement to what uh, uh Jason Tatum does, and then Marcus Smart does everything else that those guys don't want to do, except I don't even know if it's that they don't necessarily want to do it because Tatum and Brown they can both defend, you know, they, they can both get uh a little bit, I don't want to say dirty, but they can get you know down, they can like dive for the loose balls. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it might be a little bit of a shame. And I don't wanna uh I think Ito Ito Waduque is, is I don't know how to pronounce the coach's name. I'm sorry. Coach has done a fantastic job, but I think it's a trickle-down effect from like, you know, when Brad Stevens was coaching these guys because it's it should essentially be right like the same team, the same offense. So, that it I think maybe they just finally emerged and they see an opportunity there's a lot of good teams in the east but boston is clearly the team that's been together for the longest and they should have the strongest team chemistry and they're not just beating teams like they are straight up <laughs> like an- annihilating them yeah i mean you're talking
0: about their, la- their last so many wins against the kings the nuggets the thunder and the jazz average margin of victory 21 and a half points and it still wasn't even that close in a lot of these games. And, right. you know, what you said is very true about how long this team has been together. And for a lot of this time that they've been together, there's been the question of, can Brown and Tatum play together? And there was, you got to get rid of one of these guys. You can't have these two stars. It's not working, blah, blah, Good thing they didn't, because it's working yeah. real well right now. And they are rolling through. They're making their way up. They're one loss back of the two and three spots for the Sixers and the Bucks. They're only two back from the Miami Heat. And they got a matchup remaining. So and they also have one game left for the Bucks. So if they win that game, they got a tiebreaker over them. And I mean, this team is playing with efficiency. They're playing with smarts. They're playing with defense. And they have the best point differential in the East on their way to climbing up this ladder.
1: Yeah, I mean, like imagine the the Celtics getting uh, what what was I just about to say? Shit, <laughs> uh, no, we've been there. Yeah, imagine. Okay, here's about to say so even if the Celtics lose in say like the second round, right? They get a matchup with the Nets or Philly, whoever, and it's a tough series, you're gonna start to hear Brown and Tatum, one of them gotta go again. No, the hell they don't. You <laughs> keep the you keep these two together. And you let the rest figure it out. Because mm-hmm. with these two, you're always at least going to be a factor in the Eastern Conference. You might not ever be the favorite if another team has Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and, you know, maybe Ben Simmons to be determined, right? Or Joel Embiid and James Harden. But you got to keep these guys together. I think it'd be a a huge mistake for the Celtics to move on from either one of these guys, regardless of what happens in the playoffs this year, because these two guys are always going to give you a chance. And if you just surround them with like the proper talent, then I think they absolutely could represent the East and you know, could even win a championship in the right year if things break right. Uh, yeah, I mean, and look, we see in the right year, it might be this year, you
0: know, the Suns are dominating yeah. out in the West, but. It's not a guarantee they're going to even represent the West or let alone win the NBA championship. The Heat right now, number one in the East, but it's a slim lead. And, you know, we'll talk later about the Heat kind of having some internal turmoil and crumbling a little bit. The Celtics been hot, like we said, 23 and four since near the end of January, best by far in the NBA at that time. And... This could end up being the year. I hope not. I don't want to see them raise another banner. I don't want them having one more than the Lakers again. We just tied them finally. That bubble one might not count some people, kind <laughs> of including myself. But it's up there. It's in the rafters. So you got to kind of count it. Yeah, absolutely. Of, Everything. Speaking of the Celtics, a little bad memory for them. On this date, date that we're recording be March 24th. But in 2017, on this date, Devin Booker, announced himself to the NBA by dropping a 70-piece in TD Garden in Boston to help his sons, who were not a good team at that time, <laughs> defeat the Celtics 130-120. to 120. A 70-piece, and the youngest by far to do it. And he puts his name up there, Ryan, with a bunch of legends when it comes to putting 70 points up in a game in NBA history.
1: They, they lost that game, though, didn't they?
0: Or did it was that game? Sorry, maybe it was yeah. the Celtics won the game one thirty one twenty.
1: Yeah, the the Celtics won because the Celtics were all salty after because the, Suns the were feeding. Were, yeah, my
0: bad. Yeah, Sorry.
1: no, no, the Suns were like force feeding Devin Booker, Uh to me, this was a vindication because I, I guess I'm just going to to my own horn for a minute. I love Devin Booker coming out of Kentucky. He's who I wanted the Pistons to take instead of a uh, Stanley Johnson. We know we know how that worked out, uh, but like I loved. I loved every minute of it. Oh, did they take KCP in front? Where did Stanley matter.
0: Johnson
1: play? There you go. Maybe that's why they took him. <laughs> <laughs> they knew it was six years later. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, whatever. Stanley Johnson, KCP, both bad picks. I wanted Devin Booker over whatever one of them was coming out. But he, I mean, yeah, announced himself to the NBA, 70 points. It really like an insane game, and I was looking at the uh, the stats the other day. Twenty four to twenty six from the free throw line. That is preposterous <laughs> preposterous efficiency for shooting that many free throws. Twenty one of forty overall. So it's not 40%. like right. No, it's not like he was taking sixty five shots to mm-hmm. to get to the seventy points. And it's something that I did wasn't sure like how often we've seen it, obviously we, we haven't seen it since nobody's really come close. I think there's been like a 63 or 62 point game, but nobody's been at 68 or 69 or like been on the precipice, even in, you know, these now five years since, um, since that performance, you know, with the inflated numbers, with all the, with all the three pointers, with all the ways guys know how to cheat the refs and get to the free throw line. Like you kind of thought it, it would have been closer by now it just goes to show you how difficult of a feat 70 points really is a lot of points and there's a reason this. So sm- we're talking about booker joining the likes of wilt elgin baylor
0: david thompson david robinson kobe Bryant, obviously with the 81 you want to talk about forcing up points david robinson david robinson, <laughs> david robinson for those that don't know him and shack were battling for the you know for the scoring leader for that year and Shaq was winning after the last game of the season and the Spurs went into their final game and they did everything to make sure that David Robinson got every point he needed because I think Shaq put up like 54 or something in his final game to really take that lead and David Robinson needed about 70 to get it and he ended up winning that by like 0.1 points. (laughs) It was absolutely ridiculous about force-feeding way more than what the the Celtics witnessed with Devin Booker on a bad team. David Robinson doing this for the Spurs on a semi-decent team at the time. But, I mean, to have your name etched in history with everyone else on that list and to be the youngest to do it, it's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, I mean.
1: I I know. I Like, I hope – I kind of hope we get a repeat of the David Robinson check here this year because this year's scoring title, I think it's LeBron, Giannis, Embiid. And Embiid, yeah. I hope to God one of them just on the last day is like, I'm dropping 65 <laughs> just to make sure I have it. And I hope the NBA can flex those games and space them out mm-hmm. so that we get, OK, LeBron did it. Now he is at, well, LeBron will probably last. Right. But Embiid did it. Now he's at, you know, now Giannis he's needs at 30.1. 30, now Giannis needs 35 to beat him and then Giannis goes out and snacks 50 and then it's like oh LeBron in the primetime game now LeBron needs 64 <laughs> like uh, i I hope we get that scenario this year because I do think the scoring title matters to guys, and it's it's fun to go out and see the best players, even if they're passive, you know, like LeBron is to an extent right, trying to get his teammates involved. Mm-hmm. It's fun to see the go out, the best players go out there and just decide no, like i'm I'm getting buckets. you guys move out the way. This yep. game is all on me. Uh, I mean that would be it'd be fantastic entertainment. For the last game
0: of the season and might even very well impact the MVP race as well an MVP race that the man we were just talking about is being very much ignored in Ryan tell me this is the leading scorer on the best team in basketball how is he not even mentioned how look I'm not saying Devin Booker should win MVP this year but there are criteria and Isaiah Thomas the great Isaiah Thomas of Detroit legend fame NBA legend fame Came out and pointed that out, that when you are the number one scoring option, the leading scorer on the best team in basketball, your name is usually mentioned in MVP discussions. And all we are hearing is Embiid, Jokic, and Giannis. That's it. Those are the three names I'm hearing when it comes to MVP. Meanwhile, Devin Booker out here dropping... 26 5 and 5 increased at the 28 5 and 7 after CP3 went down. Everyone was worried about how the Suns were going to do once CP3 went down right before the All Star break. Well, the Suns have gone 11, 11 and 4 so far without without CP3. Held on to their lead in the first is the reason behind it.
1: Uh, I love Devin Booker. I just profess my love for Devin Booker. Now, I feel like I I don't want to sit here and just hate on the man, but (laughs) there's a reason that he's not in the MVP discussion because it really shouldn't be. It's all the crowd to feel now. I understand what Isaiah Thomas is saying. Best player, best team, leading scorer, usually gets that. Isaiah, the game changed. The advanced stats nerds, they came in and they just – turned over. There's a whole MVP discussion, which is why you have guys like Jokic, like Embiid, and like Giannis who are on the MVP ballot. Uh, And I think rightfully so. I think these guys probably have the biggest impacts on their team just in general. I mean, especially you look at what Jokic is doing without Michael Porter Jr., without Jamal Murray, still keeping the Nuggets in the thick of things and the numbers that he's putting up. And it's kind of a little bit of that too, right? It's the numbers, like 26, 5, and 5. We just talked about it with Cade. 22, 7, and 7. Those don't seem so far off, and it's, and not that they're not good, but if you looked at those numbers in like the 80s or early 90s, when Isaiah Thomas was playing, they look way better than Mm. they do now, when you have guys putting up 30, 10, and you know, 7. And I think even probably Luka will get some more MVP love than uh, Devin Booker will with the way he's been performing this year. And you mentioned criteria. It seemed like there used to be a certain fit criteria, and now it's just all over the place. It's like the guy the media says is going to be the MVP 20 games into the season has the upper hand up until game 65, and then people start saying, well, you know, what about X, Y, and Z? And it just seems like that's the way that not only the the discussion goes, it sort of seems like that's the way that it's voted on as well. I'm telling you right now, if Joker wins MVP
0: with the sixth seed in the West, because that's what his team is right now, I ain't watching the NBA for at least a day or two because that was the entire argument against two of Kobe Bryant's MVPs that were stolen from him was that, oh, well, he's on the sixth team in the West or the seventh team in the West. You can't give it to a guy who's not in the top four of his his conference. I don't care how well he's playing. I don't want to hear it. It ain't fair. It's an absolute crap rule. Look, again, not saying Booker should win it this year, but I think being the best player, leading scorer on the best team at least gets you into the conversation. Because, look, what Embiid is doing is ridiculous. Basically 30 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists. The Sixers are 2 in the East. Giannis, basically 30 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists. The Bucs are 3rd in the East, same record as the Sixers. And then Joker, 26 points, 14 rebounds, 8 assists, almost a triple-double with a 6-seed. Denver Nuggets in the West. Their numbers are ridiculous and you're not going to get those kind of numbers from Booker cuz Booker's not going to rebound like that. All three of the guys I just said are seven footers. So <laughs> yep. you're not going to get the same kind of rebounding numbers, but it's commendable what Booker has done. And I think at oh, least God. he should get some mention in the
1: conversation. It, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be tough. I don't even know that he's going to make an all NBA team. Like there's so many good guards. <laughs> like I don't know, I don't know what you want. Sorry Devin. I, like just, you know, if you win a championship, I'm sure that'll be enough for you. Uh, and yeah, yeah that's kind of it. He's, he's going to probably have to prove it in the playoffs first to even be mentioned, I would guess. Well, if I was Devin Booker, I'd be fighting people. Anyone that besmirches my name, I'd be
0: fighting people <laughs> like I was Jimmy Butler, about to fight my own damn coach and teammates. Yeah, he is from Saginaw, so it's, you know. <laughs> it's <laughs> That's right. All right. So Ryan, let's set the stage here before we close out the show. The Warriors are in town to play the Miami Heat. The score is tied at 50 at halftime. And then the Dubs come out in the third, they lock down Miami, Wiggins and Poole go to work, and suddenly 50-50 at the half is 63 to 50 after Poole hits a ridiculous three-pointer basically in front of the Miami
1: bench. Spo calls a timeout. And then all hell breaks loose. Yeah, it sounds like Jimmy Butler challenged Eric Spolzer to a fight. <laughs> because there's one of those videos out there where Spo say, is saying, like, well, what are you going to do? Like, F and fight me? No? Or what do you want me to do? F and fight you? you? Something right. along those lines. <laughs> like, And then you have uh, Udonis Haslam, 30 year NBA vet. It <laughs> seems like it's all for the Miami Heat. You know, Backing up his coach, I guess, which he should, because Eric Spolsa is probably not any bigger than five foot six, I would guess. <laughs> and here you have Jimmy Butler barking down on him, and Udonis Haslam tells Jimmy Butler straight up four times, I'm going to beat your ass. I'm going to beat your ass. I'm going to beat your ass. And, you know, we know J- Jimmy is prone to these teammate explosions, right? There's the famous practice of him in Minnesota, going at Towns, going at Wiggins, saying, oh, you guys can't win without me, uh, and beating them with the the third stringers on the team. Um, And I think he has some real, like, issues with Brett Brown when he was in Philly as well. So this is a guy that, you know, controversy or even at least, like, you could maybe say he has a short fuse, or he's he's tough to work with. That seems to follow him. Uh, it seems like he's fitting best with the Heat so far. But I think this was just bound to happen.
0: Uh, this was just comedy.
1: Uh, the way it
0: extended and kept going, all the different little things. You know, as soon as it really starts getting heated, Kyle Lowry's like yeah, yeah I'm out <laughs> <laughs> and then it continues when they get up and the players are coming out of the field and Spo actually bends down to pick up the clipboard which was in his hands at one point and is now on the ground just to slam it on the ground again on the floor in front of Jimmy Butler gets back onto the floor to confront Jimmy Butler meanwhile the Warriors are coming out of the floor Moses Moody is all of a sudden in the middle of this like what is <laughs> <around me?" laughs> There's just so much comedy in this video, and yeah, it's exactly you know it's Jimmy Butler. It's what he does. He's he's got that chip on his shoulder. He's got that dog in him. He's got that fire, and you know he was not happy. I still want to find out what he said to Spo in the first place because I don't know why you're mad at your head coach when your offense is not working. The Dubs are locking you down, and the Dubs are getting what they want. I don't know how that Spo's fault. You were the one on the floor.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, apparently he challenged him to a fight, right? <laughs> at, the, at the bewilderment of Eric Spolstra.
0: And you damn uh, right that
1: Haslam's going to come to Spo's defense because Spo is the only reason that Haslam has been on the Heat the last five uh, yeah. years. So Haslam's basically an assistant coach at this point. Exactly. But this I mean, this isn't some run-of-the-mill going to be out-of-a-job-in-two-years coach. Like This no. is Eric Spolstra, the yeah. second-longest-tenured yeah. coach at the NBA. And you know, a guy who's coached LeBron James. He's coached Dwayne Wade. Like, he's coached some difficult, you know, personalities in his career, and he's he's earned that respect to really mm-hmm. not be spoken to in, in that way by his players.
0: And you're also uh, the
1: one seed in the East at this point. Like, it's not like you're having a down no. year. <laughs> and, like, I, I guess that would be, if you're trying to find any sort of seriousness in this levity, that would be the question, right? Is, is this something that could break the heat or after this, could you see the Heat winning uh you know in, in NBA championship, just knowing that this happened, knowing some of Jimmy Butler's history. Granted, it is a team that went to the finals in that bubble year. Um, but is it a team that you could see winning, seeing that they don't seem to be at least the most close-knit group.
0: Yeah, well, we got two weeks left in the regular season. We'll find out if this comedy of errors leads to a run for the miami heat because they have been kind of slumping a little bit and that could have absolutely played a factor all right that's it for tonight thank you all for hanging out with us don't forget like subscribe wherever you can find us facebook instagram twitter tiktok full episodes on youtube he's ryan griffin i'm matt bassin we're throwing stones we appreciate y'all hanging out with us we'll see y'all again real soon
1: yep, you're on your phone all day at work anyway you might as well be subscribed to us you heard the man